Welcome back, everybody, to the second episode of the Whale Nerds Podcast. My name is Slater. I'm here with Eric and Caitlin. Woohoo! Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, we just wanted to first say thank you to all of you people for all the amazing feedback and just for downloading and listening to our podcast. We're super excited about it and just to hear all of that. Oh, yeah. A lot of feedback from numerous people. Thanks for all of it. It seems like most of it's been positive. Have you guys heard anything negative yet? Yeah, they said you sounded funny. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry for sounding funny. We appreciate the topic suggestions, too. I mean, we can rant forever about whales, but we want to know what you want to hear about, too. Speaking of feedback, uh, Eric and Caitlin just got back from a little um, marine mammal workshop down in Southern California. Do you guys have anything you want to say about that? Did you learn anything? Yeah. They left me. They left me, by the way. I was supposed <laughs> to go. And my, my phone, I guess, didn't, I don't know, just didn't go through when they tried calling. <laughs> Yeah, we learned a lot. We learned a lot, but uh, the one thing that you missed out is seems like everything was pretty depressing this year, but informative. Yeah, yeah. well... <laughs> that doesn't sound was, very exciting. Yeah, it, was, it was exciting, but just a little sad. Yeah, it was hard to sit through some of the sessions, and I, I think one thing that marine scientists are not necessarily the best at is thinking about the human element and taking care of um, emotions of people <laughs> involved in some of this work. Um and so it was, it was kind of hard to hear about endangered species and what are, what are our plans for how to conserve populations that are really just on the brink, if not already too late. And then we followed that discussion with the impacts of plastic in the ocean, which has also been very hot in the news and is also a pretty sad story. So It's more than just straws and cups. Yeah. It's more than just straws and cups. Yeah. One of the big things that uh, a lot of a lot of people already know this, but it was just, uh, you know, emphasized again this time was uh, clothing. Simply uh, washing your clothes does put uh, microplastics into the ocean. So uh, that was kind of concerning. But there are a few things that uh, uh, we talked about, um, you know, with the panel over there that are being done to even prevent that. So it's kind of... Uh, kind of hard you can you can try but there's little things that you probably don't even know that are still kind of putting uh, plastics into the ocean yeah and some feedback actually we were talking like at lunch outside of the session with one of the panelists on the plastic panel and um, she and I were kind of geeking out about plastic things that's actually what I did my undergrad thesis on at Oregon State was um, people's perception of marine debris and Monterey County actually did a really good job this past year of putting out all the information about what they can and cannot process, what can be recycled, what can't, what can hand, be handled in their compost digester. And so we're actually pretty lucky that our, our local area, like the dump says what they can and cannot take. And they'll even tell you what happens to it. They just did a recycle workshop on Saturday that we were gone for. Um, so that's kind of nice. Some some places, are, disposal places are trying to think of yeah, and how even, to deal with this. Even when you go to Whole Foods now, they have like up at the front where you can like cook your food and stuff they have three bins and now there's a picture on each one of like that kind of helps you know what mm -hmm. you can put into each trash can mm -hmm. and, there's, and there's three of them now there so that's and pretty cool sorry to talk trash about you Californians but we've been ahead of the game in Oregon on this for a long time I think growing up in the Portland metro area and so there's so I'm many like, trees finally! Just, no there's so many trees <laughs> it covers your mess no we've had the three bin system as a public service for a long time and so I'm just like, oh, finally people are getting caught up here because it is a big problem and we have to start doing something different. So was there anything else you guys learned at that uh, workshop? 
The second day, we did a lot of, um, well, we listened to a lot of people talk about the state of acoustic impacts on whales, which has been coming up more and more in the field. They're getting better and better information about that, but it was kind of a hot political topic because there's been a lot of pressure from the Trump administration to um, take up seismic exploration again in a lot of places along the U.S. coast that it has not happened, and that's a little scary for our whales and dolphins because they rely so heavily on the ocean sounds, mm -hmm. and that would be very disruptive. And Caitlin also sent me a text message while she was down at that Marine Mammal Workshop about communicating science on like social platforms or podcasts or um, maybe even vlogs on YouTube and stuff like that. What was that about? Yeah, so we did our final session was a, a workshop on science communication. And it sounds like Susan had done this before in previous years that Eric had been there, but this is the first time I'd heard it from her. And uh, I think it was good for everybody in the room to hear someone who's not a scientist talk about how to communicate science because it's good to get a different perspective. And some of it's not new information for people like Eric and I because that's what we do on the Whale Watch Boat is we communicate science to the general public. Um, but she did a good job of explaining, like, I think some of my favorite takeaways from the whole thing was you can't communicate doom and gloom to people. It doesn't work. You just go through, like, this yeah. disaster fatigue and people just disengage. But also, um, earlier in the conference, people were like, well, we can't just say that we've saved the whales anymore because some whales are saved and some whales aren't, and we have to start to get specific. And Susan was like, no, the save the whales thing, people are bought in on it, roll with it, take the win, go for it. And I was like, yes, you're right, thank you. Like, yeah. I'm glad somebody's paying attention to what the general public is receptive of. Because I think we kind of lose sight of that when we're in the thick of the science part. And so it's, it's good to have another person outside the field go, what do you want them to do? You need yeah. to really seriously think about what do you want them to do? And that's the cool part about doing this podcast, you know, is we're, this is science communication and we're trying to make it more of a fun and approachable way of doing it so that people feel like they're, they're getting good information and it's not like reading a textbook and it's something that's engaging. Yeah, and that's something I love with photography and shooting videos of these animals is showing them in such a beautiful light, I feel like can bring people in even closer to these animals. And then you can kind of slowly sh sh show them what else is going on in their lives, uh, the good and the bad. So you don't maybe you can hook these people in with inspiring and motivational stories and then slowly let them know about the things that aren't going so well in the ocean. And um, they can continue to inspire other people as well. So despite all the doom and gloom, I was in this like optimism free fall Friday night. We got to breakfast Saturday morning and I told Eric, I was like, even though yesterday was so depressing, I actually feel really optimistic. Um, one, because- Why was it so depressing? Is this because like the vaquitas and the- Yeah, we were talking about, you know, all these small Odonisi populations around the world that are just like What doomed. other ones besides vaquitas? Um, finless porpoise. I've never heard of finless porpoise. Finless porpoise. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> finless, <laughs> I mean, just made up an animal. <laughs> finless porpoise over in China. Uh, the uh, humpback dolphins. I was just going to say, uh, I want to see a humpback yeah, dolphin. Yeah, west coast of uh, Africa. Africa are, you know, not looking too hot. And there's a lot of area for them to cover with that one. You know, it's not like the vaquita where it's only- the northern part of the uh, the Gulf of uh, California, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of area that needs to be covered. And uh, most of all of the Amazon River dolphin subspecies and, and species are also in trouble. Mm -hmm. The freshwater dolphins. It's sad to say, but 
you know, when you have something that's giant, black and white, looks like a panda, everyone gives them attention, but our poor vaquita, various porpoises and uh, dolphins, you know, are just kind of overlooked. You know, there's a few people who are paying attention to them, but... Or don't even know about them. Or don't even know right. about them, exactly. I mean, I didn't even... I didn't know one of the ones you just mentioned. I yeah. Mean, the finless porpoise? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I might have heard of it, but not... I mean, I haven't heard people talk yeah. about it Irrawaddy being... Irrawaddy dolphins. I know yeah. that there were some dolphins in that book that that were went extinct because they dammed off the, the river. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh well, and in in the Amazon too, they've lost populations of, of of dolphins from diverting water from the river, or damming it, or not paying attention that they were in there as the levels got low. It's actually super amazing that we are able to see the animals that we have here in this bay because mm-hmm. after reading that book, the death and life of Monterey Bay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we pretty much hunted everything. It wasn't just whales. It was whales, abalone, the sea otters. Even the kelp. The kelp. And then, and then it went to the kelp. And then now, and then there was like pretty much nothing. And then they kicked all the fishermen out. And oh, and then the sardines. Yep. And then yep. they kicked all the fishermen out pretty much for the most part. And it's really come back. Yeah, we're getting to this like new established status quo. And it's still very fragile in Monterey Bay for sure Um, but what I would say about one of the big reasons why I love marine science is marine scientists are some of the most innovative and creative people I know because they work in an environment that they cannot be in um, physically most of the time so they have to think of how to use all their context clues from the ocean to answer the questions they're trying to answer. Like we listen, a lot of information we get about these really rare whale species is from acoustics because you just can't sit on a boat all day, every day and hope to see them. And so thinking outside the box all the time is one of the reasons why I love marine biology. And I really do think that we are gonna be able to solve some of these problems. What I've been seeing lately is the shift of like, I think we're going to have to start to talk to social scientists to really have a conservation yeah. messaging plan that works well. I think we're going to have to um, reach across party lines and start working with other f- adjacent fields to get answers and solutions to these problems. And I think that's very big of marine scientists to try and try and branch out and reach out and think, you know, realize that they're not going to be able to solve this on their own. And um Everybody looks like they're just kind of like gnawing on it, chewing on it, trying to digest it. And pretty soon, something's going to shake loose. Something's going to break through. And we're going to get some really revolutionary stuff going on as far as protecting, you know, whales and dolphins and porpoises. Yeah, and I definitely think the time is now with all the technology yeah. and all the things we have going for us out on the ocean yeah. and the communication with the, through other like whale watch companies and research boats in the area that we're really like working together. Yeah. Or trying to work together. <laughs> And switching topics to another marine mammal that our buddy Eric Wynn saw, what, last week? Yeah, I think it was just last week. What did you do? Tell him what you did last week. I actually went uh, over to Florida again. I went over to the Gulf side, just uh, north of Tampa, to an uh, area known as uh, Homosassa Springs and also the uh, Crystal River area. It's an uh, area that this time of year, when it gets nice and cool, uh, you get a good amount of manatees uh, coming into the area that's awesome that's something i really wish i would have went over there and done with you it's the pictures you got were unbelievable yeah it wasn't bad it's a pretty amazing experience you know it's one of those situations i mean i tell you i get this a lot you always get i'll show people some pictures of me in the water with them and they're like oh my god 
Why are you so close? What are you doing? <laughs> it's just kind of like that Baja experience, you know? Don't say anything till you really check out the situation or experience it yourself. You get into the water there. I'm uh, guessing they're curious. Yes, I've had them The thing that me. everybody thinks that animals aren't. They're not curious, but yes. they're just they're so as curious as us. They're yeah, I, I got video of Avanti literally like following me for a good amount of time to the point where the boat crew was <laughs> yelling at me, you know, to get back on the boat. We got to pick up some other people. Uh, they're curious. <laughs> they will get right in your we face. We do that on all boats. Yeah, I've been uh, booped by numerous manatees. I mean, there were, there were six people on the boat one day. And, booped. Uh, each, <laughs> each individual person had, you know, six manatees literally following them around. In fact, I already showed a lot of, uh, you know, my coworkers the videos of this manatee. You can even watch my hands and feet. I'm just floating there, and this thing's just floating down the river with me, rolling on its back, got, you know, showing me its its belly and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, when it gets nice and cool there, these animals will go up to these uh, springs where the water comes out of the ground about 72 degrees. So it's kind of like a natural little uh, jacuzzi uh, for these animals. You posted on Facebook um, all the different tail flukes. Mm -hmm. They still call them flukes on the Yeah, yeah. So you posted the, all those... Is that a way they can ID them? By yeah, the, they can so do same that. Thing, but not as extravagant. Yeah, as they can do that. And there's also kind of like, uh, you know, our grades and humpbacks, you get, you know, a lot of little scars and stuff uh, all over Nicks their body. Cuts, it yeah, looks like. Yeah. And unfortunately, just like our, you know, uh, their cetacean counterparts, they have to deal with, uh, well, over there, it's not really ship strike, but, uh, you know, boat strikes. Uh, these yeah. rivers, unfortunately, are frequented by many, 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 you know, small boats. And, uh, you know, it's hard to patrol that area. There are numerous signs and warnings, especially this time of year, you know, telling people to slow down. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of these animals do get struck. So uh, they, uh, you know, are unfortunately uh, in decline because of that. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, we do know the Gulf side of Florida did experience that uh, red tide issue. So... There's a lot of uh, factors that are affecting our uh, manatee friends also. Although it sounds like um, I went to Crystal River a couple of years ago. You've been too? Yeah, but unfortunately I you did not have it. nearly as good of an experience as Eric. But you saw them? Because the second night I got horrible food poisoning and missed oh. one of the days. I did get in the water with one. It was really brackish water. The visibility was not very good and it was That's sleeping. what I was expecting when you go there. I, was, yeah. I wasn't expecting it. Like you had some like visibility when it's really really cool and the manatees are way up in the springs that's when it's the best we were there very early and things had not cooled off yet so they were kind of in the estuary and so it wasn't mm. as good of an encounter yes it depends on you know certain conditions like uh obviously if you have a heavy rains uh you know the night before or for you know previous days um it does muck up the water uh one thing i've learned you know just going up and down the uh, gulf coast side is uh, the most popular areas to do this experience uh, is Crystal River and then the Homosassa Springs area. Crystal River, just like the name says, the water is crystal clear, but uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people there. Yeah. Uh, also, mm -hmm. Homosassa, um, the water is, uh, in my experiences, have has been uh, you know not as clear, but uh it's uh, there's not that many people there you'll literally have you know the animals all to yourself so if you're in for a more personable experience or a more mellow atmosphere uh homosassa springs is the the way to go 
I'm glad you touched on that because I would have not known which one to go to. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, this is going back to kind of the propeller strike issue. So sometimes, like we're saying, the water is not very clear. And then manatees are not very distinguishable at the surface. I mean, they have a pretty um, flexible set of face muscles. And so they can really just get their two nares up out of the water and just take a breath. And then, is that their nose? Yes, that is their I'm nose. Kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys should have saw her. These are two fingers. <laughs> and... Um, and then the rest of their body blends in pretty well with the surface of the water or like it's pretty camouflaged if it's murky and their back doesn't usually break the surface too much. So it is easy for boaters if they don't have a trained eye to totally miss a manatee and that's why they say that you really should go slow just so you have a better chance of spotting one in case you're like really, really close. Yeah, it's just kind of like, uh, especially this time of year with our gray whales, you'll, I mean, 50-foot gray whales, you experience... Whale watchers know can literally disappear from you, and these mantis aren't exactly a tiny creature. You know they can get close to ten feet long, and you'll be surprised when they pop up to breathe. It literally is just those two little nostrils breaking the surface of the the water. So you know a, a boater, as cautious as they can be, can sometimes uh, still miss that. You know depending on the conditions and stuff like that. Just I, I was out there on the, on the windier, windier day, and yeah, just those you know, little wind waves and ripples uh, will will uh, harm your visibility. And uh, luckily, there's some, you know, these animals aren't in transit. There are a lot of the spring areas that they gather that are actually roped off and cordoned off, and sometimes it's seasonal that uh, give these animals uh, a fighting chance. But uh, yeah, Florida's doing what they can uh, to help out these animals, and uh when I was in Crystal River, it sounded like the Gulf side population is actually seeing an increase, but some of the other subpopulations, especially down towards the Caribbean, are still struggling. Is that what they told you when you were there? I'm um, not really sure about the, the current status of the animals, but uh, I know, I believe last year, um, I think it was the numbers were uh, pretty... Uh, Pretty sad as far as the loss of animals. So well, they did have that red tide going through most of 2018, which yeah. is horrible to yeah. see photos. But of. speaking of uh, speaking of manatees and on the East Coast, uh, well, you know what? That Brutus whale. Did you guys hear about that? That oh, yeah. washed up over in Florida. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Which is that actually came up at the workshop too. Um, so in the Gulf of Mexico, there's a really small population of Brutus whales, and they... do you think that's the ones that are coming up here that we see like, or not here? I'm sorry, but like Newport Beach, because we saw them in the summer. No, no, they're oh. on the Atlantic yeah, side. Yeah, totally different oh, population. Okay. Yeah, I thought yeah. you said. Oh yeah, you said, you said <laughs> Gulf. Just kidding. So the the reason it came up at the workshop is because they're talking about using Florida as an example of like a very industrialized ocean. Um, well, actually, the other side, Florida is not very industrialized as far as um, oil platforms, but like Texas, Louisiana, and uh, Mississippi are. And so the Brutus whales kind of exist more towards the Florida side, they think, because there's not nearly as much acoustic disturbance with all those air guns going off for seismic exploration. Um, but yeah, it did, it they said there that population is probably only about 30 animals. Yeah. And, uh, I forgot the exact area, but yeah, it's way off the coast of Florida. I remember the acronym they put on the map that they, they gathered. It was D.C. So it's a canyon. you folks from the Gulf Coast or the East Coast might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, whatever is way off the Florida coast. Yeah. And um, oddly enough, I am a protected species observer um, 
for the seismic industry. I took a certification a couple years ago. And Brutus whales are one of those species where you are allowed, if you are on a, a, an air gun boat as an observer, you're looking for endangered species in the vicinity of the air guns behind the vessel, and you are allowed to cease all, you're allowed to tell the captain, shut everything off if you see a Brutus whale, because it is a species of real special concern. So seeing one dead on a beach Over there is, or yeah, over on there. our side as No, well. just only over there and only on seismic boats where they have allocated an okay. observer. So do you know anything about our Brutus whales? Not on this side of Mexico. Too much. <laughs> in the Pacific Coast. Yeah, our our British whales, yeah, for Yeah, on the Pacific for guys like me and Slater, yeah, who are from Southern California, worked out of there for a bit. Um yeah, we do guesstimate there's about a dozen uh, British whales that actually will frequent the uh, Southern California area. So uh when heard... when things warm up, yeah, you can probably definitely uh get a chance to see those. I know one of our last El Ninos, yeah, it was pretty good off of the coast. Of, well, pretty much all They're the uh, Southern California boats, yeah, got to see I've them. I personally them. saw them off of uh, oh, yeah. off of the Long Beach boats. I do know Newport uh, and the uh, Dana, Dana, Dana Point boats uh, got to enjoy them, too. And I think I'm pretty sure our buddies in San Diego definitely oh, I'm sure had a chance to them. see them, too. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw the Brutus Whale and actually flew the drone down in Newport. And they're fast. They're fast whales. Yeah, I well, we were like a, a smaller fin whale, you know. Yeah, basically yeah. a smaller fin yeah. whale, and, and I remember <laughs> when we first started seeing them, there was always that little debate when we had pictures, especially you know without drone footage. When you just look it, from the side, exactly. you look at that dorsal yeah. fin, you're like, you know, that dorsal fin looks kind of funny, but I'm not sure what it is. But then we we all realized when we That's all how got we found out more educated about the Brutus whales, we you need those uh, those drone shots help out a lot because yeah. you can see those ridges. Uh, on uh, you know uh, above the animal's head, and yeah, that will give ridges, you yeah. positive identification. Whereas your fin has uh, was it a single or two? Yeah, I think it's a single ridge, and then your uh, your Brutus is going to have three distinct ridges. So yeah, so that was just helping. a fin. Well, has the right what the white the side, asymmetrical yeah. coloration yeah. on the lower jaw. Yeah, but I mean again, like same thing with the Brutus whale trying to get it to have its head up out oh, of the yeah. water enough to see the ridges. The same thing with the fin whale. It's hard to get that view or that i mean angle. down in southern california where you have better visibility sometimes you can see it yeah more easily you can t- well, yeah after seeing them now more often down there or in the past uh you could tell you could kind of tell yeah it was hard well certain captains <laughs> won't yeah. usually get you know get you on the other side of the whale so sometimes it's just up to uh, uh a good photographer or a drone you know i know sometimes when you're few of us who have been on research boats, yeah, you will have a captain who knows it's his job to go left side, right side on the whale. But, yeah, with those British yeah. whale situations, we couldn't get to that on the whale watch right boat, side to confirm if there's a really, white jaw or not. <laughs> you're really just keeping the sun out of people's faces. Yeah. Exactly. For well, the most and sometimes part. the encounters are probably so brief that you can't even yeah, try to get on both spending sides six of the hours, animal. yeah. All right, so we – Thought about concluding the episode with some questions from you guys. We did get a few questions on my Instagram personally, and then a couple on the Whale Nerds Instagram. And if you're not following the Instagram, make sure you follow us at the Whale Nerds on Instagram. Um, but the, one of the questions was asking about rare sightings in the Eastern Pacific, and it got me thinking about the right whales that used to be in Monterey. But in, in that book that I just read, they talked about how they pretty much killed every single one of them. And they have, I mean, I haven't seen a right whale. I've never seen one. Yeah, or North Pacific right whales, especially here uh, in the Eastern Pacific. It's uh, 
it's always been kind of a, a gloomy uh, picture. There are uh, guesstimates that it's uh, probably 30 animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, not much is known about them. As I always say, you know, um, good research with whales hasn't started, you know, probably for what? They probably only started about 50, 40 years ago. People used to look at a right whale and instead of going, oh, cool, right whale, it was like, man, that's like, you know, 100 barrels of oil. Thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, that's exactly. All they took from a thousand dollars, all it was worth. Yeah. So. Well, back then it was probably. I mean, that equals like probably ten. Yeah. So those much, whales, but. seeing them, uh, is obviously a privilege, and you're probably going to be the. You are the luckiest person in the world. Uh, the last sightings that were just a few years ago, there was one off the Channel Islands, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. one off of La Jolla, and then one literally in the surf, pretty much in the surf of the La Jolla area. The media actually got a video of it and they posted it. They posted it, you know, and <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's it's literally right in front of the, you know, a prestigious, you know, you know, a marine lab right off of Scripps and area. <laughs> and it took some people a while to look at this video going, that doesn't look like a gray whale. And then finally people chimed in like, oh, you're right. That's actually a right whale. So those were the, the last confirmed sightings of these animals. I forgot the exact date, but it was just, what, last year or two years ago? Yeah, I think the news one was last year. They were talking yeah. about, you know, oh, it's gray whale migration it was during season. Our first Here year. there is this right whale rolling around in the surf. Yeah, so this whale <laughs> is, you know, a, a quite a rarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the migration pattern, well, they're kind of figuring it out just from sightings, you know, mm-hmm. obviously Gulf of Alaska and then down towards Baja. Uh, even sightings, in the, I mean, they're going pretty far offshore. It seems like there was a yeah, Alaska sighting. Hawaii. I mean, not, yeah, not almost Alaska, Hawaii. Ho- almost to Hawaii. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, what we thought we knew is kind of being expanded, you know, so in that so book, few animals we don't know yet. In that book, when they talked about how they pretty much hunted all of them, do you think that they meant up and down the entire coast? Like, they made it kind of sounded like they hunted them out of the Monterey Bay. But do you think that they this was because they, they hunted all the way down to Mexico all the way to the gray whales? And yeah. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. do you think they hunted the right whales all the way up and down the coast? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. It wasn't like majority here. I took yeah. a it was picture, all spread out. I yeah. took a picture of one of the slides from the workshop because they talked about the North Pacific right whale, um, and it says twenty. They estimate twenty one thousand to thirty thousand right whales were killed in the decade of the eighteen forties alone. Ten years, thirty thousand potentially thirty thousand right whales, and then the other thing that. Um, they talked about, which I, I, Eric and I knew about this already, but I don't know if you know about this later. The USSR illegally hunted whales for years without telling anyone. They lied on, they like had this code to, to have the logbooks look like they weren't hunting whales, and right whales suffered heavily because of it. Because I think there that's was still is, illegal whaling. Is that why the logbooks are kind of messed up, right? They didn't know exact numbers right. that were taken yeah. because right. they weren't all they were all falsified down. yeah exactly yeah. yeah right whales blue whales fin whales humpback whales yeah, yeah we're all taken imagine by dragging the a hundred yeah. foot blue whale or no i mean yeah. they're they're around 80 80 to 100 feet but still, that's just insane yeah i mean and was, all of them i mean they were just constantly every single day hunting whales yeah, yeah. i mean you're talking we're so I lucky to be able to see saying? them now Oh my gosh, I forgot. I think I wrote yeah. it down. And we're, we're literally in an area, you know, here in Monterey, we are in an area that historically was, you know, uh, whaling stations, you know, Davenport. It's actually named after Moss a Landing. whaler. Yeah, yeah, Moss Landing. Mm-hmm. You know, we even have some old timers on the old timers. 
old timers on the wharf who actually uh, remember the whaling stations, and mm-hmm. some of them have even taken stuff there. <laughs> Won't yeah. tell. That's a, yeah. that's going to be another podcast. But I've heard some pretty interesting stories yes. from our old timers and, and their interactions with the uh, the whaling stations here. I think what is the final estimate of global extraction? Of all whales during the whaling era it was like three million. It was whales. in the millions. It was in the millions. Whales. I think it's at three million. I think. In yeah. all the oceans. Yeah, incredible. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we just look at piece by piece. Yeah, blue whales, couple hundred thousand taken. You know, so yeah, it's pretty grim. Let's end on maybe a more positive note. Uh, working down in Southern California, we would maybe see like one to five humpback sightings in an entire year, mm-hmm. as of like. What, two, since 2014, and now we've been having humpbacks almost throughout the entire year. Not in big numbers, but they've been showing up down there at least a few a few in a month. So. Yeah. One of the interesting, like, what is becoming a rare sighting, and it's kind of a mysterious, mysterious thing, is pilot whales. Mm. Have you guys seen pilot whales in Southern California? Short fin pilot whales, yeah. yeah short fin. I haven't seen pilot whales you haven't? since I was a little kid. That's the thing. <laughs> but yeah. seen I'm older than you guys, but whales. I remember yeah, in Southern California seeing them uh, off of Catalina Island, but yeah, that's uh, something that a lot of. Uh... I've seen them on a survey ship west of Point Conception, a couple hundred miles, and then I know someone else that saw them west of the Farallons on the, that same survey cruise. They travel, yeah. yeah. I know a majority of the more recent sightings. It seems like they're uh, most of them that are not by whale watching boats have been out. On the backside of you know the Channel Islands, I know they used to be common in yeah like behind Catalina San Clemente, out, yeah. out uh, behind the San Clemente Island. I know some of my fishing buddies have run into them out there. So yeah, a lot, seems like a lot of recent sightings, not by whale watching boats, have been been way out there. But yeah, maybe I think Caitlin can you can probably talk about what the the basic theory is about why our pilot whales have disappeared. I know there's a big talk about them. Yeah, it's kind of a it sounds like a combination of factors, but maybe. Maybe a shift in habitat is one of the more recent things, but they were extracted for um, the captive industry. They were popular in aquariums and, and zoos and things. Um, but then also there was a lot of squid fishing and competition and acoustic disturbance um, more towards the, the late 70s. And so that may have caused a disruption where the pilot whales were just like, Get, we got to leave the area. There's too much going on here. We don't like it anymore. Um, and then the mid-80s El Nino, the 82-83 El Nino, really disrupted the squid fishery and like the squid populations took a big hit. And so they may have just vacated the area because there's no food and they'd already been disturbed a lot by the fishing boats. And they followed the food around like yeah. right. all tooth whales. Um, pretty much and we, had, uh, we did have gillnets uh, around decades ago off yeah. our coastline. Yeah, and they were uh, pretty, uh, you know, there Pretty was much hit by uh, bycatch, being yeah. a bycatch item. And I think still today, a lot of, uh, in fact, if we have any NOAA observers listening, uh, going out in commercial boats, yeah, they were, they're still being recorded as bycatch every now and then way offshore. They so, banned, they banned gillnets in yeah, California. Yeah. Yep. And actually Monterey Bay was, and Monterey Bay was one of the big places where the like public eye was put on gillnets. Um, a couple people from Moss Landing Marine Labs in the mid-80s that were graduate students actually lined up a bunch of harbor porpoises with gillnet rings around their head, the carcasses, on the beach and like called the news and was like, look at this problem. We That's are killing right. all these little animals for, with gillnets. And they stopped using gillnets. And one of the success stories, which is actually gives some hope for the vaquita too, is harbor porpoise started to re-inhabit San Francisco Bay mm-hmm. the last 10 to 15 years. And since the gillnet ban has been in place, they 
think that that's well, a big yeah story. the san francisco harbor porpoise that's a that's a different story uh what many people actually led to you them to, to actually disappear from the san francisco bay is actually during the world wars uh, yeah. a lot of people don't know this but uh there was actually a huge net actually set across <laughs> the mouth of the San Francisco net. Bay <laughs> like that, to keep yeah, out Eric told me to keep out crazy. submarines yeah. and and uh, the since then the harbor porpoise actually left and it was I think it's a little bit been a little bit over a decade that they have finally showed back up in good mm-hmm. numbers. In fact, mm-hmm. if you guys ever go to San Francisco and you want a good look at a harbor porpoise, uh, ebb tide when the tide's moving, you can uh, take a walk along the Golden Gate Bridge, look down, yeah. and your chances of yeah. seeing these uh, harbor porpoises are actually see Eric there. He's done actually it really, yeah, times. I've actually or done me. it. I've done it. I've actually done it a few times. I've stood over the Golden Gate Bridge and uh, you know headed over towards the Marin side and just looked down. I was pretty lucky to see get a good aerial view of them but you know they're obviously not a, a rare sighting anymore in the san francisco bay area an emerging san francisco bay area sighting that's becoming more regular is humpback whales too yeah there was that's actually cool. 60 uh that they have actually identified uh you know through a photo id that been hanging out in the uh, san francisco bay area and a lot of them are the whales that we are actually familiar mm-hmm. with here there in monterey whales. bay yeah <laughs> there are whales just visiting san francisco and then then coming back someone want a photo of a humpback whale in the golden gate Bridge. dang it i was just gonna say yeah that's my just someone has a breaching humpback oh i know it's awesome someone also has a photoshopped breaching humpback in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, oh, but that's definitely a shot I want to get. We forgot about beaked whales. We've been really lucky with beaked whales. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I've missed all of them. Yeah, Slater, where have you been? Yeah, 2018 was a good year for beaked whales. In the, was too. In the Monterey Bay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I this personally, is my year. 2019 is my year. <laughs> yeah, we got, what? We had bears and cuviers. Uh-huh. Yeah, 2018. Not in 18, but in 16, uh, we had bears, cuviers, year. and sperm whale. Yeah. Yep. I'm not missing it. I mean, you guys got to you. Did you both get to see the nursery pot of sperm whales in SoCal a couple of years ago? Yeah, I've seen sperm yeah. whales, but yeah, I didn't. I, even, I didn't even one. know what I was doing with the camera then. <laughs> so it's not now. I want, I want a I want a new shot at photographing them. Be patient. Your time okay. will come. But Monterey's great. Yeah, deep water, beaked whales. Yeah, got a good look at those. Uh, those well, good, really, really, really unbelievable good looks at the uh, bears. They even had some some calves with them, and then cuviers. Oh my god! Uh, but when I really wanted to see them, I told someone about them, and they're like, "They're no big deal." <laughs> wait, wait. Which one do you think is uh, like a a higher chance of seeing? Mm, it's pretty 50-50 when you look at the sighting information um, historically for Monterey Bay. They see both quite often, especially the seabird trips. When they go offshore, they see one or the other was it the, pretty often. Was it the Bairds that you said they had recordings of like two hours? Uh, Cuviers can dive over two hours. Cuviers can, yeah. Confirmed, yeah. yeah, it's been two hours and 17 minutes. But when they, it was really weird. Our sightings, the last sightings, we tried to put like two to three other boats on them. You expect the long diving whale to, to come up and stay up for a while, like sperm whales no. and the uh, the bears stayed up forever. These things literally showed their dorsal fins like two or three times and disappeared. And yeah. we tried to put them, yeah. other boats tried to came by, you know, you know behind us, and they're like, oh, that's all we saw, you know, we saw those dorsal fins from a distance, and that was it. It was like, so did we. So they're, they're not much. So, yeah, my friend who told me they're no big deal, uh, unfortunately, she was right. But a, it was still a good experience, obviously. I have a theory on that. Maybe 
you found them right when they found some food, so they were like taking a quick breather and they were going down. Yeah, the <laughs> that's my that's my theory. It's interesting the, the, that's my experience with Cuviers too. Is they're pretty brief at the surface. The Bairds, one time I was on a, a long range trip and we actually waited for the Bairds to come back up, and they came back up in the same spot after about forty five to fifty minutes. And you, if you were really paying attention and timing them, you could see them do their decompression dives, like. At one point, they all disappeared for about four minutes, and then they all were back up again for another seven or eight minutes. And so it was like they had taken a dive to decompress, then they came back up, and they were doing shallower and shallower dives as they just did this big circle around the boat. So, yeah, but my Cuvier's experience is like, whoop, three breaths, they're gone. Yeah, it's pretty pretty odd. And then what's funny is we were actually heading to uh, some orca, and then our, cut, our captain made a sudden turn, and, you know, nothing makes you – you know, turn away from, from Orca, so we knew it was a big deal. When, Except uh, for when JJ's driving. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We did see a puffin one time, and he wouldn't turn to look at it. I wanted to see the puffin. <laughs> this is whale watching, not bird yeah, watching. That's what he said. <laughs> oh, well, or when was that, we. Uh, was that JJ or was that Chris? When we found that Nazca booby, same thing, remember? Yeah. He made a good that effort to get came, us on that thing. That thing came so close to our boat. Yeah, I mean, twice it, it flew it right over us before a quick circle. And that's, that's a whole other level yeah. of rare sighting situations. Is we also are looking at rare birds when we're out there on the water. So what we're saying is, if you guys want the rare sightings, you need to try to go whale watching as much as possible. Just go, Just yeah. Get out there, yeah. As long as the weather's good, it's a good time to go whale watching. Yeah, and yeah. as I always say, you know, whales, birds, dolphins—they don't read textbooks, you know. Just because it's not the right time of year for something. Just get out there. You just never know what might pop up, what might happen, you know, just because it's not something that in season or your favorite animal is not going to be out there. Yeah, just get out in the water as much yeah. as you can. Yep. Yep. Well, I think that was a really long conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> get us going on rare whales. I told yeah, you. We talk forever. We're gonna, these are going to be like six hours one day because we're just going <laughs> to keep talking. We'll have to break it into part one, part two. Yeah. But uh, we just want to for sure say thank you to all of you who – made it this far on the podcast and listened to our last one. If you guys have any questions, comments, or anything of that nature, um, please send us a DM on the Whale Nerds podcast on the, or the Whale Nerds Instagram. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear feedback. And thanks for listening. All right. Bye, everyone. Go whale watching. Thank you.